Welcome to TrendWatch, Innovate by Day's social media podcast, where we talk about the latest in digital communication and events. Welcome to another IBD Trend Watch podcast. We've been away for a while, but we're uh, but we're back. Um, we uh, we wanted to to have a discussion in the wake of the worldwide reaction to the attacks in Paris uh, that uh, happened uh, Friday, November thirteenth. Uh, we thought it would be good to unpack some of our observations about the role of social media in a crisis situation. Um, we, we really did see uh, the world sort of rise up on Facebook and Twitter and, uh, and sort of take notice of this, of this, one, this one significant event in, uh, in you know, one city in, uh, in the whole world. Um, so let's, uh, let's start by, well, I guess we should introduce the team once again. My name is James Woods. I'm your uh, de facto host for the IBD podcasts. Mark Chan, I make the pretty things. Chloe Prelgett, I do uh, digital and social media content on some of our shows. And I'm Sarah Davis, and I do the same thing as Chloe. So we are agreed. We are met. Um... Let's just talk about the difference between a crisis situation before social media and a crisis situation after social media. How does how have things changed since uh, social arrived in our lives? Well, I think before social media became such a common everyday thing, in a crisis situation, you would really be relying on news broadcasts. You know, breaking news broadcast, interrupting you know all of your TV and radio, giving you you know as many updates as they could. So it would be a very delay sort of stream of information. I mean, as up-to-date as it could be, but the thing with social media is the people who are in the middle of the crisis now can give updates on what's happening literally as it's happening. It's, you know, up-to-date information like we've never had before. I think smartphones also really changed that. I'm thinking of where I was on Friday night, and I wasn't in a place where I would have access to a television set or any outside media sources, but everyone has their phone, and now, I mean, at least on the iPhones, there's even apps that are basically like, there's an important news update that we have defined based on your matrix of likes and dislikes that you need to know this thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I, w- I definitely wouldn't have known for hours after the mm-hmm. fact if I hadn't had uh, any social context. Like, if I didn't have my smartphone or an app that said, Twitter seems to be blowing up about this thing. Yeah, because if we, like, even thinking back to 9-11, I didn't find out for a good couple of hours until after it happened because, you know, camera crews have to get on the scene and uh, there's a lot of conflicting reports. It's like, is this a hoax? Is it real? What's going on? And that took hours to sort out. And now it's minutes. Mm -hmm. I was in school at the time and I had to wait for a teacher to, you know, sit everyone down and say, this thing has happened, like if anyone needs to call someone, we can arrange it. Whereas nowadays, I mean, kids all have their smartphones, someone would look and go, oh my gosh, everyone, this thing just happened. So I guess it's a lot less organized dissemination of information. Less curated. Yeah. It's interesting, because I was going to say, I had a different experience in 9-11, even though that Sarah and Mark and I are very much close to the same age is we used to listen to CBC Radio in my gifted class every morning. So they cut into the broadcast. It was the beginning of the school year, and they cut into the broadcast. But for us, like the teacher was actually like, oh, God, I can't do this anymore because I didn't realize that this like morning classical music could be interrupted by a real-world event that I have no control in disseminating the information about. Yeah. And whereas now, I don't think a teacher could have that thought anymore. No. I don't think anyone can have that thought. You're going to... 
everything breaks in at some point into our incredibly connected lives, either through social media or through a more traditional path. And so there is no getting away from it, which is what I felt on that Friday. It was It was a lot of even more, like, on the plus side, it was really easy to get information and to figure out where people affected that I knew. But on the downside, there was no getting away from it on anything. 9-11 was a, was a very, very... Uh it was a different beast because we didn't have we didn't all have smartphones. Um, but where I was working at the time, we were we were fairly connected, and the, I remember the news going around the floor. And I worked I worked in a large corporation at the time, and uh, the news went around our floor very very quickly. Everybody was glued to CNN.com, um, and and bandwidth was scarce. Like it was really 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 hard to get a to get a report. But this was all happening in you know nine o'clock nine twenty in the morning. The, mm. That we were all, you know, the, the the rumors were flying, and we were all glued to uh, glued to whatever news channel we could get near. And I think I think it's uh, interesting that when nine eleven happened, we had a bunch of like news websites that all had crashed because their bandwidth was all used up. Too many users on the site, and now you know Twitter or Facebook are prepared for that. It's like if crap goes down, we need to have you know thirty extra servers just standing by to take on the load. Well, it's not even that. It's manpower. I have a friend who does coding on Twitter, and they actually have crises teams, and they're on every weekend in case something happens. So you have an instruction of this weekend is your crisis weekend. And crisis for them is anything from, like, something terrible happens around the world to Justin Bieber drops a single and we didn't know and and Twitter crashes. Like, that literally for them is the same level of crisis. And so they use crisis in this weird this weird way like I can't imagine those two events are simultaneously the same thing but for them it's the same amount of bandwidth it's the same sort of like reactionary on the programming end of things not to say that they're emotionally like insensitive to what is actually happening but it is the same kind of work yes just to clarify for our listeners yes so so it's but it's very interesting to see that that now they believe that the power of social media is so strong on their platforms that this is how they take care of it, is they just are constantly in this state of crisis mode. Yeah. Well, social media is how most people get their news, any kind of news, whether it's crisis news or entertainment news or anything. I mean, that's what social media websites have to be prepared for now, is that's how people use them. Well, it's such a big part of how uh, how the, the traditional media is distributing the news, too. I mean, you know, we're, we're getting our, our news on social media from from Time, from New York Times, from Toronto Star, Globe and Mail, uh, CNN. I mean, we're, everything, is, everything is being pushed through social channels. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's the only way that big media can, can survive is to reach the people where they are. Wait a minute. What, what did I, I just thought was, a Debism? I think I did. <laughs> what I thought was really interesting wasn't so much what was happening the day, the night of, was the next day BuzzFeed spent the whole day being on, in charge of policing the internet and saying, this is, okay, this is what we did last night, we reported all this, now here are the actual facts. Here's where this actual image came from, this thing that everyone was reporting was looking like this, actually was from January... And this thing is actually, like, all photoshopped, and this picture is actually from Dublin, it's not from France, like, and it was a really interesting to watch them, like, post-humorously go through everything and moderate themselves. BuzzFeed is becoming, like, step one of Snopes, you know. <laughs> we're just, we're just going to fact check as we go, and then Snopes can actually do the full report later. Yeah, it was kind of interesting, though. BuzzFeed in general, I think, is very interesting that way because they do tend to post entertainment topics most of the time. But when there is a crisis or something 
you know, upsetting happens, mm-hmm. they turn into a news source quite quickly. Mm-hmm. But they, they turn into a news source that uses predominantly social media updates. Yes. Which I think is completely fascinating because yeah. it's almost, it's, it is, it's on the ground journalism without having to be on the ground. Yeah. Well, it's from tabloid to Toronto Star, so. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing I found really interesting was that check-in that they that Facebook started using. So that previously existed as a natural disaster has occurred, um, check-in when you get internet again, essentially. And and Facebook basically responded by turning that feature on uh, in light of the Paris text because it was a younger <coughs> demographic and the areas where they hit were people with smartphones that were likely to be on Facebook checking in regardless. And now they're saying that the newest article that came out was he's turning that on regardless. Zuckerberg is like, that goes on regardless of what kind of crisis we're in. Mm-hmm. If it's a power outage, if it's a um, natural disaster, if it's human-made disaster, whatever it is, I'm turning it on. Yeah. Which I think is incredible. I mean, I think that was the one feature that really made me think, wow, like social media is really not only integrated into our lives, but becoming so incredibly useful in a time of crisis. Because, I mean, I have several friends who live in Paris, and Mm -hmm. being able to get a notification straight to my phone as soon as they checked in, being like, this person you know is okay. I mean, that's incredible. And you think even, like, ten years ago, it was like, oh, I've got to call my mom, I've got to call my friends. And now it's like, no, I I need to check in on Facebook. That's fine, you know, much faster, much... Mm-hmm. It's funny, one of my friends who doesn't really use his Facebook or his Twitter didn't check in, and I was the whole, I spent a lot of time that night being like, is he not, does he not know to check in? Mm-hmm. Is that just not in his nature? Or like, is he not here anymore? And it turned out that he was totally fine. He just, you know, was like, I'm not going to log into Facebook. That seems like super lame. And I was like, it's not lame. It's really not lame being on the other side of the world, and all you had to do was hit a button. I was going to say, it's turning social media from the kind of thing where it's like, you would log into Facebook at a time like this to you need to log into Facebook at a time like this. And I think that's something we're seeing more and more with crises in general is when you, when you look at the Syrian refugee crisis, they all have cell phones, not because that's like a status of like a status symbol. It's because that is necessary. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to stay in touch with people. Otherwise you are adrift. But I think it also, it creates a human element to all of it. it. It does. It takes it away from being far away and puts it, really close because it's on mm-hmm. your little screen in front of you or your bigger screen in front of you. Absolutely. So it, it is, it does humanize things, but it also lets people have a bigger conversation with say the Syrian refugee crisis of saying, okay, it's, it's these guys this time, but this is how America started basically was you were fleeing a t- tyrannical government. Granted it was England, but still, you know, and, and so like I can pair the two things together and I can have this interesting philosophical debate online that might just change one person's point of view. Instead of writing, Dear Mother, this letter will reach you in six months. I might have died of cholera. Okay, so we've so we've we've definitely talked about a lot of the pros of the of, of social media in a crisis situation. What are some of the cons of these li- of of live updates? I think I think we touched on you know some stuff with you know, mm-hmm. bogus uh, bogus photography and misinformation, um, non curation. I think yeah, like I think I think it's so easy for things to slip past. Uh, the censors, because the censors don't exist anymore, mm-hmm. basically. There are no censors, there are no editors. Those, those people are gone from the news, and it can it can lead to a lot of confused information and bad statistics. I mean, the, fo- the photograph alone, there was a Sikh man who was done up to look like as if he had a bomb strapped to him. And it's like, this is... <laughs> 
And, and people, a bunch of people circulated saying, oh, look, it's a, it's a terrorist. It's like, well, first of all, he's a Sikh. And second of all, this is really misrepresenting a person and other people, for that matter. Well, and it was also poorly photoshopped when you actually looked at it. Yeah. But I think, I mean, for me, I think it's the torture porn element. The, the visual imagery of terrible things happening is just... It was bad when it was just like, you know, the news was deciding what it was, and it was like a news organization with checks and balances. Mm -hmm. That's over now. Like, it is just straight up, everyone can post whatever they want, and everyone's going to have a different visceral reaction. So where an editor's job in a previous lifetime in which we had news sources... In a previous incarnation. In a previous incarnation was to say, hey guys, I know you're very viscerally feeling that this picture of a white you know, tank top with blood splatters is going to really get your message across, but maybe not a good thing. I mean, the media has always been of the mindset, if it bleeds, it leads. Mm -hmm. But the thing with social media, like you were saying, is, I mean, there is no sense, there's no checks and balances for it, but it's also so constant. I mean, those pictures get shared so Mm -hmm. frequently. So it's not like, oh, you turn on the news and you see it, or you open the newspaper and you see it. Mm -hmm. You log on to Facebook to see someone's baby, and bam, you know, dead people like it's yeah. you can't escape it and I think that's the biggest con for me with something like this is there's no escaping the crisis mode yeah. and that can be very mentally exhausting not to sound like mm-hmm. no, oh but it's... poor me <clears throat> but I think it's important for these things to continue to impact people the way they do is it has to feel like not an everyday thing and when it's yeah. being circulated so consistently at such an overwhelming volume, it's very hard to digest. Well, and I think people are always feeling like the first time they come across it is the first time anyone's seen it, so it can perpetuate for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks beyond it. And, I mean, I see it a lot on Tumblr. I don't know about you guys, but I see it on Tumblr all the time. It's like, I know this image, and not just about specific big crises but like smaller movements like like black lives matters and it's like someone's like i have seen this the first time today therefore no one has seen it and i'm like okay hold on when is this actually from and are you actually now just perpetuating this horrible image across the internet when not necessarily something has been solved by any means but by that we have maybe moved on well that's just it like you said it becomes about the torture porn as opposed to what can we do to move forward and fix this and help people. Yeah. It's more just like, look at all of these terrible things instead of yeah. how are we helping people. And I think it's interesting because we don't we don't often get beyond the stage that causes that sort of news fatigue, which is the negativity. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't always go to solution. People don't always say, okay, what can we do? They're just like, look, this terrible thing is happening, this terrible thing keeps happening, and it's like, okay, but what's what's the other side of that? Where Where do we go from here? And that creates, like, a hopelessness that eventually leads to apathy. You know, it's really not healthy, and it's constant, as you well, were saying. Well, or, or you get to, like, I mean, it's I think it's still apathetic, but you get to the point, like, my mom's at right now where she will not turn on news sources anymore. She's gone back to, like, listening to CDs in the car because she's like, it's just constant now. It becomes noise. Yeah, it's, and she's like, it becomes noise, but it becomes depressing noise. It's not even, like, a, you know, like a... a noise like an interesting noise it's just terrible all the time and like it's not true necessarily but it's because people are more aware and social media is helping them become more aware that it should become a constant narrative what was that uh, old saying if i wanted to be depressed i'd watch the news Mm -hmm. it's true though i mean i think it's 
it's important to take note of that, of like your own mental health when it comes to these sort of crisis situations. Like I remember when I first started becoming more aware of like third wave feminism and reading those kinds of articles, I had to um, unfollow, I unfollow a whole bunch of blogs and just kind of turn off the internet because it got to a point where I was just incredibly depressed from all of this content I was consuming. And it's hard to moderate the kind of content you're consuming when it's literally being forced on you everywhere in a crisis like this. What do you think of also the whole, the visual aspect of, of your page in that? So on Tumblr, it's sort of, if you don't reblog this, you're a heartless person who needs to die somewhere, which is weird in its own sentence. But also, like, Facebook put up the, the Paris, um, change your profile picture for Paris, and you could set the timer. And, like, what was the appropriate timer based on your friend's feed and based on who you knew and what you feel? And did you even set the timer in the first place because it didn't pop up on everyone's feed? So some people still have it up and yeah. some people, like, it turned off in the first two days. And it's this whole, like, visual representation of do you care enough, which is, I, I think, what frightens me the most out of all of this. I want to coin a term here, uh, morality memes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because, because that's what these are. These are people trying to guilt you into, do, are you going to do the right thing with this meme? I don't have to do anything. I, I don't. I can care privately. I can care in other ways. Don't make me feel bad because I didn't share your share whatever thing you care about. And so many people are so angry. Like, when, when, when a bunch of my friends didn't put on the Paris mm -hmm. thing on Facebook, it's like, they got harassed saying, don't you care about Paris? They're like, yeah, of course I care about Paris. I don't care about a flag on Facebook. Like, and yeah, no, we're, we're under so much pressure to publicly demonstrate, you know, that we care about something well, to, was, to everyone. And it was interesting. What I saw a lot of, because it was a first world tourist place that had been hit, was people were posting all their pictures of the Eiffel Tower. And I'm like, to me, that made no sense. And I was like, I appreciate if this is how you have to express yourself in this scenario but I don't understand why everyone is like oh now I must find the picture of myself with the Eiffel Tower and post it it's like we get it you've been to France yeah I, like, I honestly at one point was like I, I understand you, I get it you've been there it, you know but it, it's that wasn't where it was hit either like okay but it was an interesting conversation and I've, I'd seen it on smaller levels in different places if people had been to different places in mm -hmm. the world that had been attacked or that had had tsunamis or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I was just so... Normally that's like my family was there, I spent six or eight months there, I, I lived amongst someone there, my best friend is from there, not... I went to a tourist attraction in a very popular tourist city and now I'm taking a picture and now I'm posting that picture from... Yeah. X number of years ago, and it was people I've never seen participate in these morality memes before. I think I think there's unfortunately like crisis FOMO now. Oh God! Yeah, I really hope not. Except no, I think there kind of is. Like you have to be. It's like solidarity on speed. It's like <laughs> solidarity <laughs> FOMO. Oh God! Yeah. It's like I want to express my sadness for this, but I also need to make it a little bit about me mm -hmm. and just like, oh, look, I'm sad about this and I feel bad about this and you should feel bad for my feeling bad and mm -hmm. we should all feel bad together. And it's this weird kind of like, we're having this dialogue, but we're all so completely removed from the actual crisis. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think 
it's slightly off topic, but I really feel like FOMO, which is fear of missing out for anyone else, is, is I think it's such a huge topic, but I think it's like the worst thing that's come out of this decade. Yeah. Is this whole like I, I everything we've talked about making a podcast about and doing and everything at work is all about FOMO. Yeah. And I'm just like, we have to step away from this as a giant culture. There are real good positivities to FOMO if it's going to help you check in on Facebook and tell all of your friends you're okay but it's not great if you're like I need to also interact in this thing that I'd have no place being a part of I can't believe I've had nothing to say through this whole conversation this has been really really uh, interesting um, three very three very distinct points of view and, and I, I think the only thing that we didn't cover uh, that, that we meant to talk about and I know we need to wrap up uh, is this tendency on social to uh, to jump on one bandwagon at a time. So, <clears throat> the day before the Paris crisis, uh, there was a, a, a horrific uh, bombing in Beirut, mm-hmm. and Facebook didn't change my profile picture to the Lebanese flag. Yeah, right. And and their the reaction from from people there. Uh, some essayists that I read uh, afterwards said, "Does the world not care mm-hmm. about us as much?" And that's probably another another topic to get into. But I, I, I think because so many people have been to Paris, mm-hmm. uh, and and that the city is so iconic, the Eiffel Tower is such an uh, such an iconic image that we certainly North Americans have a have a a sense of well, this is something that's kind of ours. It's mm-hmm. close to us, and we recognize it. And I don't know that we have the same connection. Uh, as a, as a larger society, I don't think we have quite the same connection to countries in the Middle East, mm-hmm. um, it, and I'm not saying it's right. Certainly not right. I mean, we, I, uh, one of the things that I that I tend to go on about when I'm on on social is that we're all just people, mm-hmm. and one of the things that that makes me uh, hopeful about social media, and one of the things that scares me about social media is that it it's creating a a, a global community. But it also it it highlights the xenophobia that's uh, in our society, and Absolutely. I've seen a lot of horrible stuff come out the last yeah. the last week or so with, with the the people that are that are you know spreading not necessarily hate, but certainly spreading xenophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's you know let's let's keep the refugees where they are. Thank you mm-hmm. very much. And it, and it's kind of it's kind of awful. I mean, maybe it's good to shine a light on on that kind of thing in our own society. But it, but it, but it's 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 terrible. Some of the stuff that I read over the last. Week. I think I think there's um, sort of way way too many forces all acting on that. Where you can say that Paris is is sort of chosen in this case because we are North America. We have such a long history, as you said. I think secondarily, Paris has been considered a popular city for a couple hundred years now. You know, it's it was like one of the first international cities, one of the first big tourist destinations. So we have that in sort of our cultural mindset. Um, and then yes, you get to things like the Syrian refugee crisis, where people don't take non-European, non-Americanized nations as seriously as they do others uh, in North America, I should say, and in Europe. And you know, we we get things like a tsunami in Japan, and you will have people who just oh that happened, that was a thing. Because to them, that's the other side of the world, whereas Paris feels next door. And part of that, obviously, is we've got like a significant French population in Canada. France was the first ally of the United States, things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hope the global community continues to grow as a community and 
we can start seeing each other more as equals and less divided. Yes. Yeah, and I think I think there are certain things in place like the Facebook check-in feature that if it's now open to everything and it's not gated, that you're gonna start having a more you're gonna start having a better awareness of things. I'm interested to see how they're gonna roll that out because it mm-hmm. because you know that that means that there's gonna to have to be a crisis team at Facebook <laughs> whose job it is to turn it on in Beirut, to turn mm-hmm. it on in Beijing, in mm-hmm. Tokyo, in that, Oklahoma City. That might be what turns Facebook into the next news agency. It's not like they don't have the manpower. <laughs> or yeah. the money. Yeah. Or the money. <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna leave it there. I think I think we probably opened up uh, a, a whole other can of worms, and maybe I'll just edit that out. Um, thanks for listening to us. We're uh, we're uh, very happy to come to you, um, even even when things are bad. We hope that uh, we hope that you'll all uh, use social media responsibly. I'm James. This has been an IBD podcast with Mark and Chloe and Sarah, and I'm gesturing to all of them. You can't see that. Cheers. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Trendwatch, Innovate by Day's social media podcast. Visit us online at innovatebyday.ca, on Twitter at Innovate by Day, and like us on Facebook.